Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea coming to you live from Myrtle Beach, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning broadcast now in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell. Tomorrow is our midterm elections day. Let me repeat that. Tomorrow is our midterm elections day. During this midterm election year, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives and 35 of the 100 seats in the Senate will be contested. And this is Clarence Boone, and I'm uh, broadcasting from the wonderful climate of uh, Indiana. It's great to be here. I'm not in Myrtle Beach. He's trying to rub it in. But in an open, honest, and straightforward appeal to readers, Dr. Charlie Nelms, veteran higher education administrator and chancellor emeritus of North Carolina Central University, makes the case to vote in a monthly column for diverse issues in higher education. The following is a compelling excerpt from this article. Quote, every year we are told by leaders from both major U.S. political parties and candidates too that this year's election is the most consequential ever. In the past, I've considered such assertions to be mostly hyperbole designed to incite people to contribute financially and to vote for candidates. However, in the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election and the violent insurrection by election deniers on January 6, 2021, I have concluded that the 2022 midterm elections may indeed be the most consequential over the past 50 years, unquote. Dr. Charlie Nams joins us to elaborate more on his timely article, The Five Reasons Why I Vote, and You Should Too. Dr. Nams, welcome to Bring It On, and it's always good to see you. Hey, it's, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you all for inviting me. Uh, it's a gorgeous day here in Bloomington, Indiana. We're not in Myrtle Beach, but it's a beautiful Colorful, bright day. Yes, well, it is. I um, William did a did a poor job of trying to imitate you in reading that excerpt. So, if you'll indulge, what, what, what us, can I say? Well, if you'll indulge us, and if you will, Doctor Nelms, read your article. Um, we, it's in your voice, it's your passion, and you will put emphasis in all the right places. So, without any further ado, here is Doctor Charlie Nelms reading his article, Five Reasons Why I Vote, and You Should Too. So thank you very much. William, you did a wonderful job. You did a wonderful job. The older I get, the less surprised I am by human behavior. Even though I cannot say exactly why, there are two two things that surprise and disappoint me the most. The first is the number of people who, for whatever reasons, die intestate without having made a will. Unfortunately, many of my relatives, close friends, acquaintances, and other people who look like me cannot seem to find time to take care of this most basic personal and legal necessity. 
the second equally inexplicable reason, surprise to me that is, is the number of people who believe voting in any election, primary or general, local or national, is useless. Whether in the case of completing a will of voting, research suggests that increasing numbers of educated or degreed people are abstaining in increasing numbers from one or both of these basic activities. As we approach the 2022 midterm elections, I cannot ever recall seeing so many negative political advertising on either side of the political aisle. It seems to me that everywhere, newspapers, on billboards, television, social media, it's everywhere. Nor have I ever been so bombarded with requests for financial contributions from candidates from all over the country, not just those who are running for office in my state of residence, congressional district, or local precinct. The message is always the same. Quote, my opponent is supported by dark money, or we have a donor who's willing to match all gifts three for one if you make a contribution by midnight tonight. No matter the candidate or the position for which they're running, the sky is always falling, or so it seems. Of course, as someone who believes profoundly in the importance of voting and who favors more progressive candidates, I must admit that I often take the bait and find myself contributing to candidates all over the country. At the conclusion of the 2020 election, I celebrated when all of the candidates to whom I made a financial contribution won, save one. Every year, we are told by leaders from both major U.S. political parties and candidates, too, that this year's election is the most consequential ever. In the past, I've considered such assertions to be mostly hyperbole designed to incite people to contribute financially and to vote for candidates. However, in the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election and the violent insurrection by election deniers on January 6, 2021, I have concluded that the 2022 midterm elections may indeed be the most consequential over the past 50 years over the past 50 years. There's more on the ballot. There's more on the ballot than a collection of partisan or independent candidates seeking office. Truth, history, integrity, democracy, civility, gun violence, equity and equality, diplomacy, leadership, the environment and the economy. Security. P-16 education, immigration, health care, student loan forgiveness, HBCU funding, reproductive rights, voting rights, and congressional redistricting, among a host of other critical issues, are all on the ballot. Whether we vote or not, and who we vote for, has monumental consequences. Recently, while trying to convince a lifelong non-voter to register and vote, the person responded by saying that they didn't vote because they didn't believe their vote counted and that all elected officials are crooks anyway. My response was this. If your vote doesn't count, why do you think candidates spend so much money trying to convince you to vote for them? Or why do some legislators pass so many bills restricting voting conditions and times? Ignoring my question, my questions, the prospective voter asked, why do you vote? 
while we may all have different rationales for voting, mine are simple and straightforward. I vote for five reasons. One, while growing up in the Deep South during America's apartheid era, my parents could not vote without paying a poll tax and passing a racist literacy test reserved exclusively for Blacks. I vote to acknowledge and honor the sacrifices made by my ancestors, civil rights leaders, advocates, and activists, some of whom made the ultimate sacrifice to give me the right to vote. I dare not, I dare not denigrate their memory or sacrifice. Two, freedom and democracy are on the ballot, and I will not undermine either by sitting out any election. To me, Voting is a prerequisite and a privilege of citizenship. Three, not voting is a sign of civic silence. And I want my voice to be heard whether the candidates I vote for win or not. Too often silence is interpreted as a sign of agreement. And I would not want my silence to be construed with supporting political perspectives that I view as an anathema to democracy equity, and equality. Fourth, I believe in the collective power of individual votes, and I want to be included in the number of people who pool their votes and their voices to make a difference. And finally, five, I want to practice what I profess with respect to my belief in the importance of civic engagement. Equally important, I believe that the sustainability of American-style democracy is strengthened when we take time to exercise our constitutional right to vote. I had the honor of meeting the late civil rights icon, Representative John Lewis of Georgia, who in 1965 nearly died from a vicious beating at the hands of state troopers and police in a march that came to be known as Bloody Sunday. He once said, quote, the vote is precious. It is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have in a, a de democratic society, and we must use it. End of quote. Whether we have one reason or many for voting, and whether we can articulate them or not, two things are clear. First, there are consequences of not voting. Some are positive and some are negative, but they are seldom, if ever, new. Second, voting is an opportunity to say to current and succeeding generations that we not only stood for something, but that we work to make it happen. Voting is the one thing we can do, no matter which side of the political aisle we align with. It is an expression of love for and gratitude to those like John Lewis and so many others on whose shoulders we stand. It is what we must do for our democracy, which we have seen can be both fragile and resilient, and which must never, never be taken for granted. Thank you, Dr. Nelms, uh, for that stirring recitation of an article you wrote for Diverse Issues in Higher Education, and it appears in this month's um, public publication of that online um, newsletter. And we just want to thank you again for hammering the point home that being cynical at this stage in the game is is not is a non-starter. You you have to get out and exercise a, a right that was paid for in blood, sweat and tears, and even lives. 
And uh, for that, I, I just open it up to our other co-anchors, William and Liz, if you have some questions for Dr. Nelms. Well, Dr. Nelms, yes, I have uh, a couple of things. I, I think I kind of know what you're talking about, but I want you to explain to me what is dark money? Crooked money. Money that people have come about, they've come in possession of this money from people who wish to control outcomes. Okay? It has not been given earnestly and honestly, but people who seek power and control. That's what I could to be dark money. Thank you. And my next uh, either question or statement is uh, you talked about, and this is true, about people not uh, having a will made, mm-hmm. uh, which is just as important to me as voting. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I saw personally is someone might have had a will made, but nobody knew where it was. Mm-hmm. And so their home would become bombarded with a bunch of people going through masses of papers and things, trying to find a will. Sure, so sure. it and insurance papers. Sure. And so um along with and I consider this along with voting and registering to vote, most people don't take care of their paperwork in life. What uh-huh. do you have to say to that? Well, it's unacceptable. That's what I have to say about it. Both are completely unacceptable. And what I encourage people to do, family members and others, is to take all of those important papers, birth certificates, insurance policies, um, a statement of assets, and so on and so forth. You ought to have at least one person in your life that you can trust. You know, I mean, you know, if you're fearful of putting uh, uh, things in a sacred deposit box, have at least one person you could trust. Okay, share it with them and uh, share all of that information with them, so you don't leave your family sort of uh, uh, struggling. I mean, they're already struggling generally with the loss of a loved one, but it's even more stressful uh, when when there's so much uncertainty surrounding one's uh, final wishes and, and and that kind of thing. And so I think it's unacceptable. That's number one. But number two, I think we could do something about it. But most importantly, I think our church leaders, our civic leaders, we all need to be need to spend more time talking about the importance of things like that. Okay, we just do. Um, I have I have one more more question, and then I think William seems like he's ready to to pounce. When it comes to voting, I'm sure that. Probably like your parents, I know definitely my parents, they made a big deal out of it when we, our first vote, they went with us, it was uh, talked about in the family setting, it was, they made a big deal out of it, and, and made sure they went with us, and so do you think, especially in the African American community, that we have forgotten those horrific actions toward us and that the youth today really don't get it? Well, some circles, that's the case, okay? But part of what we do uh, as a means of dealing with negative things, we tend to suppress certain memories, okay? And the kind of social scar tissue that forms, okay? And it's so painful to remember and to recall that some people just suppress it. So I don't think that there is anything, you know, where people say, 
my goodness, that never happened, but rather they just rather not deal with it. Okay, that's why it's really important for all of history to be told. So these people who get all uptight and misrepresent, misconstrue critical race theory, and, and they don't want to be made, made to feel uncomfortable. So they say, you know, we're going to outlaw even talking about certain things. We're going to outlaw certain books because those books there include uh, pieces of history that some people find uncomfortable. And so one of the things that uh, my wife and I uh, did from the very beginning when our son was old enough to realize just a little bit what was going on, we would take him to vote with us. We wanted him to see and witness the experience, okay? Uh, to be in the line waiting to vote uh, and, and, and on and on. And so I think those are things that families can do neighbors can do, church members can do, uh, social organizations can do as a means of impressing upon our young people the importance of voting. But we shouldn't rely solely on the schools to teach the history, okay? Because there's much more to history than what is included in the textbooks. And so that's where families really come in, come into play. My most important teachers were my parents, even though they didn't have a formal education beyond, uh, uh, you know, middle school. I mean, they were ex exemplary teachers. And so I think that we can teach through modeling. We can teach through conversations with our children and, and, and demonstrating, okay, uh, uh, the whole act of, of voting and doing other kinds of important civic things as well. So Dr. Nelms, how's it going? Things are going, things are going well. Good. So you made an observation in your article uh, where you said increasing numbers of educated or degreed people are abstaining in increasing numbers from one or both of these basic activities, talking about uh, uh, making a will and voting. Mm -hmm. So what, what I want to ask is, uh, do you have any thoughts why that is the case, as well as some other examples of uh, behaviors from certain people that are that are becoming more and more of an issue, like why Donald Trump did better with support from black men this past election than he did the first time around, or why uh, uh, the Republican Party is, is, is seeing increasing support from Hispanic people when Republicans have demonstrated they don't want them here. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, I and go ahead. No, so, so two things. Let me just make a quick reference to the whole notion of, uh, of a will. A lot of people think that if you don't, they think that somehow they don't have enough worldly possessions to require them to do a will, okay? Some people think that you have to be wealthy or well off at least in order to have, okay? And that's just a misnomer. I mean, that's just a, a real misnomer. And so they abstain. Some people don't want to deal with the whole notion of a finality of, of death. <laughs> you know, so they just sort of, um, did, I won't say denied. I mean, they just don't want to deal with it. Okay. And a will somehow is reflective of my, my wishes, my final wishes. So some people don't want to deal with death as being a part of the life cycle. And death is a part of the life cycle. Okay. Um, so that's, that's about wills. Um, I could be wrong about that, but some people just can't bring themselves to even think about that, let alone talk about making uh, some final kind of wish. Now, why? That's, I, don't, I can't really answer why Donald Trump uh, or the Republican candidates, many of them seem to have done uh, uh, 
much better among African-American voters, except to say that a number of people see themselves, don't see themselves as being included. So when someone can give you the impression, the impression, I didn't say the reality, but the impression that they are for you, that they are about you, then we tend to be attentive to those people. And it's not so much just them, uh, the candidates saying that, but it's the manner in which they say it. Okay, And uh, so some, some Black voters, as in the case of other voters as well, they see uh, this uh, verbosity as somehow uh, uh, a statement of someone really being for them. But if you would go and really examine the policies that grew out of uh, uh, some past administrations, um, people weren't included. Let's just take health care, for example. Many of the people who benefited from the Affordable Care Act had never had uh, a prostate exam, <laughs> had never had a mammogram, had never um, had a routine dental checkup, on and on and on. But yet, yet they were in favor of people who opposed health care. So a lot of people um, uh, get caught up in the messaging, if you will, as opposed to the substance of legislative acts and that kind of thing. And in this social media uh, uh, age, I can sort of understand how some people may very well find themselves caught up um, in the style of the message as opposed to the message. Right. You know, I, I remember when Biden and Trump were both battling it out for the presidency and uh, Donald Trump, who of all the things he is, and he's a lot of things. One thing that he's masterful at that is marketing and packaging, as you were just saying. Sure. And he could create a message and he could have uh, he could set a stage and have the optics in his favor. So he erased all these black leaders. Well, quasi leaders. They weren't black leaders, but they were somewhat prominent black individuals behind his desk as he was sitting in the front. And he makes the statement that, well, the Democrats have done nothing for you. I don't see why you're voting for them. They've done nothing for you. And here they go again. And so then you had other um, talking heads who were black out there saying, you know, he's right. Democrats haven't done, you know, just to try to steer the platform of the Democrats. But lo and behold, they did siphon off a lot of black support. And I was a little surprised, too, with the Hispanic support behind Trump, especially in Florida, where it, where with all the woes that Florida's going through, they were just coalescing around that Republican message. And there's probably a lot of history behind it. There's probably a lot of uh, demographics, or not demographics, but there's probably some data that's out there that suggests, yes, their needs are not being met or they don't want to be aligned as monolithically as we try to make all Hispanics be. So I, I say that, that he's a masterful uh, marketer. <laughs> and before I get into my question, one thing I, I do want to do, it's at the bottom half of the hour, and if you just tuned in to bring it on, uh, the gentleman that we're speaking to is a very esteemed individual. He's a veteran in higher education, higher education administration. Uh, he's a chancellor emeritus of North Carolina Central University and also was vice president here at Indiana University. I'm talking of none other than Dr. Charlie Nelms, who has a, a stellar record in higher education and just really an advocacy of diversity and equity and inclusion. And he's uh, j agreed to join us to talk about the need to vote, which the midterm election is tomorrow. And whatever you do 
exercise your choice to vote for the candidate that you select. Whomever it is, exercise your right. I want to I want to throw out two names that sort of uh, illustrate a lot of different things that are going on in this in this midterm. Raphael Warnock, man the cloth, uh, a gentleman who uh, is I think pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and then Herschel Walker, all American. Uh, he may be a Heisman winner, I don't know, but uh, set records on the field. But now both men feel compelled to run for the Senate. And I believe, as probably a number of people, that one of them has been propped up to run, uh, sort of uh, anointed by Donald Trump to run. But now people are sort of, um, with all these revelations of, of just the person's character and, and then contrasting that with his platform that he stands on, you see a lot of hypocrisy in just in this race in Georgia. And did you have a comment on that? And I'll also open this up to any of our co-anchors, too. To me, it's kind of hard to watch the stories that are coming out. It's it's even in the black community, you know, there's some that just back Herschel Walker no matter what. Republicans, of course, they're circling the wagons around Herschel Walker. But what are your thoughts, Dr. Nelms, on the on the debacle that we see unfolding in, in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia? Oh. Before I comment on that, let me say this, and I think it's really important for for us to say this, is that black people are not monolithic any more than white people are, any more than Latinos, indigenous people. Okay, so we come with a variety of perspectives and ideas and passions and values and so forth. And so we're not monolithic. Okay, but I do think that the Democratic Party has taken the Black vote for granted, okay? They've taken a certain segment of, of voters for granted that we can always count on them, okay? And I think what uh, the Democrats, <laughs> they need to craft a message, but they need to make sure that they use their political capital to enhance opportunities and to create a more equitable society for Black people and others, and that they need to be dealing with these issues not just at election time. OK, so, you know, we had a 2020 uh, presidential election and then a number of items just sort of dropped off of the uh, off the table. You don't hear anything else until we come up. OK, for the next election, whether it's gun violence, whether it's the quality of public education, whether it's access to safe and affordable housing. Those issues, OK, are really core issues for all Americans, but especially people who are. Uh, who have been his, who are historically disenfranchised people, okay? And so I think that there is some taking for granted, if you will, on the part of some politicians, Democrats and the Republicans alike. And I think what we have to do as voters is to make sure we hold people accountable. Hold people accountable on commitments that they're making, so on and so forth. So that's, that's, that's number one. Let me come back to this whole notion of, 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 of who people vote for and that kind of thing. It's the messaging. How do you craft a message that will communicate what you consider to be your core values and so on and so forth? And I must say uh, 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 that some politicians are much more effective at doing that than others. And they beat their chests and, and talk about all that they've accomplished. So I use one example of the last presidential administration. And that uh, the person said, I have done more for black people than any president, save Abraham Lincoln. Okay? And that just replayed over and over and over again 
not only on social media, but on MSNBC, on CNN, on Fox, you name it. It's just over and over and over again. And after a while, people began to sort of, I think, sort of buy into that whole notion. And then when you come and surround yourself with a bunch of black college presidents and you do the photo op and you hold up the resolution for the world to see, not for the world to read, but for the world to see, okay? Then people said, oh my goodness, he has done more for so on and so forth. But the point that I think the takeaway here, it is, is less so about Trump and more so about what the American citizenry has to be about. And what we have to do is to understand why the vote is important. And we have to understand, we have to be educated voters. The only thing worse than a non-voter is an uneducated voter. And so many of us are uneducated when it comes to issues, whether it's environment, water quality, taxes, or whatever. Well, I, I want to I, I come back to that. Because here we have something that we dreamt of for years, um, blacks running for office, blacks running for high-ranking offices, and we, now we have it. We have two black men running in Georgia for one of the highest seats in, in of course, the land, the Senate, you know, six years representing people. And, and the question of character has to come up. And then not only character, but intelligence. Yeah. And, we see, and, and, and we see that it's been a circus. Um, and what the thing that I heard, I mean, that I, that I really cringe at is that this one candidate was really outstanding in his, in his craft, his talent on the field and, and discipline. And, you know, he showed a great work ethic in getting prepared to, to play sports and was disciplined, focused, and was a team leader. And now we see his character just being decimated, but yet he's being held up as a buffoon. And and I hate that. I hate that. But then the other candidate who um, may not be perfect, but is exhibiting character and qualities that we should all aspire for and someone who's going to hold an office. Now, none of these none of these politicians are perfect. I'm going on record saying that. But the choice to me should be clear. But again, it's for those who want to hold on to power so much and not let it go that they're propelling someone. To, to one of the highest ranking offices in our country, just to say we got the numerical might in the Senate to to pass legislation or whatever. So that's the frustrating thing. Yeah, yeah. So so I, 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 I'm sorry, but I said you got to get over it. Okay. Okay. And, and I mean, by, here's what I mean by that: if character really mattered, mm-hmm. would people have voted as they did in 2016? <laughs> that I mean, wasn't. I want to say that's an anomaly, but it, but it wasn't. <laughs> Okay. So if character was on, on the ballot, uh, if you go back to the Nixon impeachment and the people who were uh, arguing uh, or the Clinton impeachment and the people who argued against them had records that were equally as as troubling. OK, so character has has an, I don't I'm not sure character has ever really been on the ballot as explicitly uh, and as comprehensively as we want to think that it's been on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just really hasn't. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not to say that it shouldn't be on the ballot. But at the end of the day, people make choices for a variety of reasons. Okay, reasons that I would not agree with. Okay, but nevertheless, those are choices that they make, and that is one of the uh, the rights that we're guaranteed. Okay, now I can't, I cannot understand how someone would be for uh, one one brother. Brother Walker, 
<laughs> over Reverend Warnock. I mean, I, I cannot. I can't that. either. But again, people have their reasons and what they choose to believe, how they choose to behave and so on and so forth. And so what we have to do is make sure that we have more people who are in favor of the kinds of things that are being substantive things that are being talked about. Substantive things that are being talked about uh, during the campaign, okay, as opposed to the sensational things. Right, right. The reproductive rights are really important, mm -hmm. okay, but there are some black people, as there are Caucasian people, as there are Latino people, as there are indigenous people and others who are not in favor of reproductive rights as expressed by Senator Warnoff, okay? Now, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm just trying to say that since we're not a monolithic people, we don't all agree on that particular issue, okay? Mm -hmm. There are some people who are not in favor of uh, same-sex marriages, okay? And, and on and on and on. So you can find lots of things to divide people on, but I think what we need to do is to concentrate on what is the public agenda that we must pursue in America to preserve democracy, freedom, and opportunities for all of us. That's what we have to concentrate on. And if we concentrate on that, I think that we can find enough like-minded people to turn out and vote. I really do. Okay. Uh, William, I think you had a, a question. No, I think Liz was up next. I just wanted to bring up... Um or asked you to explain what, what are the top three reasons why people should vote? And what were the, those are the top three, well, top three reasons why we should vote and top three reasons, uh, or, or, or what was denied us in the past that uh, reasons why we should vote. So, I think so, I formed that right. Yeah, I, I, I get a sense that if I miss it, you repeat it for me. So okay. here's the reasons. Here are my top reasons why I think people. Democracy is a battle. Make no mistake about it. Democracy, American style democracy is on the ballot. There are various forms of democracy, but I'm a proponent of American style democracy. One person, one vote. All of the things that we talk about as the ideals that are reflected in our Constitution. Okay? So democracy is on the ballot. And when you get people who are trying to overthrow that, then I think that is just dangerous and detrimental to our well-being, no matter which side of the political aisle we're on. That's number one. Democracy is on the ballot. Number two, and related to that, is that there are people around the world who aspire to, who admire, who appreciate, okay, American-style democracy, and they seek to replicate it or to take advantage of the opportunities accorded, it, accorded uh, to its citizens. And so when we falter in major kinds of ways as we are doing now, that is really, really problematic, okay, I think to the democracy. Uh, but anyway, the second reason why I think people, so democracy is on the ballot. The second reason is, is that our existence as a world surrounding the environment, you have to be not operating on all cylinders if you don't think that climate change is real. <laughs> I mean, if you don't think, and so, you know, I mean, there isn't enough money for any really wealthy people to go out and make it rain. 
okay, or to uh, uh, deal with the carbon emissions and so on and so forth. So money won't just solve that problem. Uh, but at any rate, the environment. Now, I know you said, well, Charlie, you're not talking about any social justice issues. I'm going to get to that. But the social justice issues are really insignificant. If there's no world, I mean, if there's no, if there's no safe place to breathe, no air to breathe that's safe and clean, then that's just many other things that we can ever realize. Okay, I'm not saying that very well. And then the third reason is I think that there is a growing kind of wealth inequality where poor people are getting poor, rich people are getting richer, okay? And I, I, I think that what we have to do is to make sure that the social agenda comprised of education, housing, um, uh, uh, all of the things that we come to call uh, success in this country. There has to be a better distribution of opportunities, if you will, okay? And we need to be electing people who will ensure or increase the probability of these three things happening. Secure the democracy, addressing climate change, and making sure that there are opportunities for historically disenfranchised and marginalized people. So those are the three reasons why people should vote. Now, I think the top reasons why people don't vote, okay, and that's how that's my takeaway from your second. What, what are the reasons why people don't vote? I think number one is is they don't they don't believe that there's anything in it for them. That it's all about power brokers who are trying to secure their positions of power and so on and so forth, whether they're Republicans, whether they're Democrats or independents. Okay. So people don't see anything in it for them. Many of them don't. Okay. They feel excluded. Okay. And I think number two is, is that uh, uh, people may recognize importance, but they have not prioritized it as an, as an activity that they really need to do. You would be shocked, I suspect. We would be shocked with the number of, quote, well-degreed people. Now, I make a distinction between a person with a degree and a person who's educated. And we tend to conflict those two things. But there are increasing numbers of, quote, degreed people who choose not to vote for whatever reasons. And I've had conversations with some of them, okay? And, and I can't understand it, um, uh, but they, that's a choice that they make to their detriment long-term and to the detriment of others as well. I'm sorry for giving you such long kind of uh, long-winded responses, but these are, these are complex issues that defy a simple kind of explanation uh, for why, yeah. And, and then the final reason why I think people don't vote is, is that the third reason is that I think that there are too many obstacles to people being able to vote. Okay, there are too many obstacles. There's no reason why you should not be able to register and vote the same day. There's no reason why there can not be more drop boxes rather than fewer drop boxes for voters. There's no reason. There's absolutely no reason why at all. But we, we make it difficult for people to vote as opposed to simpler and easy. So, Dr. Nelms, in your article, you also uh, talk about more on the ballot than a collection of partisan or independent candidates seeking office. And then you give some uh, examples, truth, history, integrity, democracies, uh, democracy, civility. Uh, you mentioned just a few minutes ago about uh, fair housing. 
So, you know, we spend a lot of time scratching our heads about uh, why people would vote for a party that that doesn't uh, that kind of works against that. And then it, it seems like the answer is pretty simple, is <laughs> that 40 percent of the country either don't want that or they only want it for themselves and, and not for people who don't look like them. <laughs> Um, and then I heard Joy Reid uh, talking on her show one night about the messaging uh, from Democrats uh, as it pertains to Black folks. And she just flat out said, Democrats don't know how to fight for Black folks. Mm-hmm. So what, what are your thoughts on both of those? She said, Democrats don't know how. Don't, to don't know how to fight for Black folks. Well, let me say this to you. I, I have been disappointed very disappointed in both parties. And if you go back to the uh, election of President uh, Barack Obama, if I'm not mistaken, when he was elected president, the Democrats had both the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? They had a 60-plus seat majority in the Senate and the House. Okay. And so they squandered the opportunity. They did not. So the party squandered the opportunity. Okay. And I just think that, uh, I mean, the whole voting rights, voting rights could have been, uh, 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 voting rights act could have been passed, okay? Improvement in school, except it's just so much could have happened, but this squandered the opportunity. Let's take the filibuster right now, okay? The Democrats, if they would just go against the filibuster, which was put in place to support Southern white people, okay, uh, 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 legislators, but they say, no, we got to have 60, okay? Well, if you're really for voting rights, whether you pass the voting rights with 60 votes or 50 votes, okay, or 51 votes, okay, in other words, you have to stand for something, and that's what I worry about, and that is, is that what we stand for isn't articulated and acted upon frequently enough. And so that has caused some people to view uh, the Democrats as being less supportive and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of uh, uh, could happen more effectively around marketing and communications. But more importantly, most importantly, uh, uh, William, they need to do more in terms of passing legislation that really helps help people. You take the water debacle in Flint, Michigan. Black folks. You take the water debacle in Jackson, Mississippi. Black folks, state capital. Okay, come on, give me a break. Where are the Democrats or progressive candidates, period, in terms of standing up and speaking out? Where are they? And there's an opportunity for us to use our voices much more, but but much more effectively and hold people accountable. That's this voting is about accountability. I I think um of the tactics that are being used now to suppress votes. Uh, everything from some of the bizarre things, darkening the skin tone of some black candidates to uh, the Republican Party going back to those old tried and true uh, whistles, dog whistles, such as being tough on crime. Let me interrupt you and say this. We no longer have dog whistles. We just have outright racism. Well. <laughs> that's the only way we can call it. That's, that's right. Dog- 
that's outright out and out racism, and it gets prepared. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. no you're heading in the direction I'm going because I see it, there's a cycle. What, what used to be the poll text, what used to be the poll test, what used to be the midnight visits to discourage uh, those from signing up registered voters, uh, we're going back to that. I mean, we've had uh, poll watchers or not, no, poll workers terrorized in their homes. We've had um, individuals saying that we're going to have armed militia out there monitoring the poll sites with shotguns and long guns to discourage people to vote. We are, we are making this big circle back to the late 50s and 60s. And so I guess the, the question is, um, yeah, we, we squandered an opportunity when Obama came in and had a 60-member majority in, in one house and, and had the majority in the other. And, and all of a sudden, what stopped them from moving forward? It was not just infighting, but I think it was, I hate to conclude that it was perhaps a black candidate there that they just couldn't really push his agenda. And, and you know, our country needs to, to have that conversation that Bill Clinton wanted to have. And, and that was, he wanted to have a national conversation on our racial situation. As soon as he announced that, the revelations of Monica Lewinsky came out, came out of the thicket. It, it was amazing. John Hope Franklin was supposed to sort of lead this conversation and everything was supposed to get put on the table. But then all of a sudden that was squandered. It's like this effort to just keep us um, in our place. And, and that's the frustrating part. Um, and that's the part that we have to fight against. And we yeah. have to find a common voice to do that. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's a question, but it's just more in my position and what I've seen. It's, I've seen the efforts of many people like yourself and other political figures, um, even from my home city of Gary, Indiana. We've had some, some staunch advocates like Richard Gordon Hatcher and others who have really been frontline trying to make things progressive. But now we just see business as usual. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's enough to make you sick. It is enough. But I tell you what, rather than get sick, I think what we need to do is to get active. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do we do it? How do we get active? Then? What we need to do, step one in getting, in getting active is really to make it, to show up. Not just on voting day, but show up at the city council meeting, show up at the school board meeting, show up at the county council meeting, show up. I mean, we really do have to show up, not just on polling day, but we need to show up when these issues are being discussed, whether in the state legislature, whether they're in our local city council and so on and so forth. How many people actually go to school board meetings? Okay, when issues are really, I mean, there's some real serious issues in school systems all over the country, including the one here in Bloomington, Indiana, where there's, you know, where, 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 where the learning outcomes, okay, uh, were disproportionately impacted by people from low wealth populations and so on and so forth. So I'm not blaming, I'm just simply saying we have to be willing to acknowledge and then address the issues. Mm-hmm. Voter intimidation, hear what I'm saying now, voter intimidation is as bad or worse now than it was when I was growing up in a apartheid-style style, uh, 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 style uh, uh, social actions and policies in the South, in the Deep South, okay? Mr. DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, sent out his police, his, his people, to issue warrants to arrest people. That's a form of voter intimidation. But what we need to do is, is to make sure that we have that propel us as opposed to withdrawing that ought to cause us to go with a full charge, a full charge, to say, no, we will not be intimidated. 
we will not be denied this right that so many people work so hard to get. These long guns and so on and so forth, those are forms of voter intimidation. And we need to call it what it is, from the pulpit to the county council to the city council to our divine nine fraternities and sororities and so on and so forth, okay? We need to call this stuff what it is and and have that be a source of of, 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 uh, of a challenge for us. And even that, let me just say this: even the even if the candidates lose that I support, even if they lose, I want the satisfaction of knowing that I did everything I can to support people with a progressive agenda that aligns with democracy, the environment, and equ- equity of opportunity, equity. Okay, for all people, that's what I want, and that's why I vote. And with uh, just about five minutes left. Uh, the voice you just heard is Dr. Charlie Nelms, again, an advocate, veteran higher education administrator, author uh, of, of uh, many uh, uh, books, Chancellor Emeritus of North Carolina Central University and uh, former administrator here at Indiana University, and, and a monthly columnist for diverse issues in higher education. We, we've invited him on to elaborate on the, the five reasons, and, and there are countless more, but the five uh, salient reasons that he has determined as to why he votes, what what propels him to go out and vote, and the reasons that you should too. Um, I have to ask you, I've, I've watched you for years, and you and I go way back, and as you always like to fondly say, when we both had hair. So I've watched, <laughs> I, I've seen you uh, in action, I've seen you address uh, different bodies of, of different uh, makeups, complexions, whatever, and you've always been consistent and you've always been forthright. When do you get weary and when do you get frustrated? I mean, you've seen a lot. Yeah. And you've been on the battlefield a long time. As as you look back over, and, and, and you by no means are done. I mean, no. But as you look back over all the things that you've done to this point, have you ever had your low moments? Oh, absolutely. We all have those low moments. But I tell you what, despite the low moments that I have, I still have hope. And so I'm propelled by this sense of hope that what we can do individually and collectively to fulfill the dream that King talked about that my parents, your parents and other parents worked for. I'm hopeful that we can do that. But what we have to do is to be willing to take it on as a personal responsibility. The Democrats can't do it for us. The Republicans can't do it. The independents, they could, but they won't. So what we have to do is to say we need to have a more equal exchange. I'm going to give you my vote in exchange for your pursuit of an agenda that aligns with the needs of my people. So I have low moments, but I never lose hope. Well, are we ready to land the plane or what? <laughs> we and and I think I think it was back over to Liz. Keep the rotation. The okay, hey, thank left. you. All righty. I just want the the listening audience, if they would, to remember these four names. Because like Charlie just mentioned, being propelled. And these these names, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robinson, Robertson, Carol Denise McNair. If you don't know those four names, they are the four little girls who died in 1963 at the 16th Street Baptist Church 
in Birmingham, Alabama. I go vote because they couldn't. Yeah. I want to encourage everybody to go vote. Remember those girls. They couldn't vote. That's right. Go vote. Go vote because at one time, especially if you are a person of color, we were denied education. We were denied the right to vote. And we were denied jobs. How could you not go vote? Even if you got to go in there with your eyes closed. I don't care. Go do it. It's your right. It's your basic right. Do it for those who died for you to do it. Yes. Two quick thoughts, uh, Clarence. Number one, uh, we visited that church, the 16th Street Baptist Church, back in August while we were in Alabama for our family reunion. Number two, my wife and I voted today uh, here in South Carolina. And last, I said two, but I'm going to sneak in another one. And lastly, for those people who think that your vote does not count, if you believe that, then why do you think uh, these other people are working so hard to take it away? Dr. Nelms kind of touched on it earlier, but I had just had to add a little context to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, go vote. Just go vote, everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That Charlie, I wanted to say, so during this presentation and what you were saying, there were so many moments I wanted to shout. That's why I kept doing like this. You hit all points and I hope people are paying attention. If you were asleep, I hope you woke. Yeah. You know, I, I want to, as we land this plane, one thing, here's a plan for you. You get up early tomorrow and you and your, your wife or, or you and your family, you go out, you vote early, early. And then go to McDonald's afterwards and have a lunch, have some coffee, get a little cheeseburger or whatever, and just enjoy the day and talk about what you've just done. <laughs> and tonight, after you listen to this broadcast, get the uh, Herald Times or go online and see who the candidates are in Monroe County and nationally and talk about their 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 pluses, their minuses, their pros, their cons, their character. And I go back to character. And, and then you talk about who you're going to vote for and yeah. why. And you, and you affirm what your family values are over the dinner table as you look at the paper, as you, as my mom used to do when Richard Gordon Hatcher became mayor of Gary. She sat at the table and she marked on a piece of paper all the precincts and she kept the tally because those people worked to get Richard Gordon Hatcher in office. That was a vision I remember now that I've just had another birthday and made another trip around the sun. I remember that image just as if it were yesterday. She was listening to WWCA radio on the little transistor radio, listening to the returns. And when it was all said and done, there was rejoicing in our home and in the streets on Broadway because collectively we made a change. Now, that was then. This is now. So our appeal from here, from bringing on and from Dr. Nelms, you hear him emphatically and passionately urging everyone on, under the sound of his voice to exercise the right that people died for, that shed blood for, that were threatened. People were lynched because they tried to vote. Um, people who were registering, people were shot in their driveway. And the list goes on and on and on. It's a right. Don't let anyone take that away from you and if you are if you experience resistance at the polls there are 800 numbers that you can call and report what is going on so that your right to vote can be preserved and as we are sort of running out of time 
I, I just want from the bottom of my heart to thank Dr. Nelms. Uh, we go way back, like I said, when we both had afros. His was a little bit bigger than mine, but uh, we're both in the uh, the ball black men's hair club now, along with William. Uh, William's a regional representative down there in uh, Myrtle Beach. But uh, I've always um, looked up to Dr. Nelms as someone who uh, put action behind his words, and he's a monthly columnist for Diverse Issues. And I, I advise you to, uh, to go online and uh, sign up to, to get that uh, article, uh, to get this uh, newspaper, so you can stay informed. With that, we want to thank Dr. Charlie Nelms, Veteran Higher Education Administrator, Chancellor Emeritus of North Carolina Central University, and columnist for Diverse Issues in Higher Education, for joining us to elaborate more on his timely article, The Five Reasons Why I Vote, and You Should Too. For more information, um, just go online and, and just put in the uh, search window, Diverse Issues in Higher Education, and uh, you can read that article. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would love to hear it. Please send your email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Once again, that email address, bring it on at wfhb.org. Bring it on, executive producer is none other than our very own Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is me, Liz Mitchell. Guest co-anchor for tonight is William Hosea. Show consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone, and you haven't heard it enough tonight, but be sure to vote for the candidate of your choice tomorrow. And be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, where we'll talk about the results of uh, tomorrow's vote, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.